0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. This is a great turnout. I know some more folks are coming in. Let me me start the class this morning by um, maybe asking a question. Um, Why are you here? It's probably a good question. Why are you here this morning? What, what, what do you have in mind for this next five to six weeks? Mr. Manning. Oh, you're, I'm here to worship, but I'm here to learn. Too. Oh, Okay, good, good. Yeah, because church is going to start a little bit, but we can worship as well. Uh, that's a good answer. Any other answers? Why are you here? Timbits? Coffee? Right? That's, Eva? To learn. Okay, good. What do you hope? What do you hope to have after five or six weeks of being in a class on parenting? Perfect children? Good, I, I can't help you. It's the wrong guy, all right? Vindication. Yes. All right. Well, let me say this to you. The, the plan and purpose of this is that over the next five or six weeks, we can really look at parenting from a biblical perspective. And um, I, I'm so thrilled this morning that we have brand new parents, and then we have parents who have raised their children here. And I think sometimes we, we lose the fact that in the body of Christ... We have a well to draw upon. And so what I want to do in this class is this. When we come together, there should always be a handout for you in the back. Grab that, find a seat, get some coffee. Um, but then if you have a question at any time, or you want to add something at any time, you're more than welcome to do that. I want to encourage you to do that. Um, your question, I'm sure someone else may be thinking the same thing, so don't be afraid to ask it. And I think what we'll do is after the class, if you have a, an issue that is really problematic for you, Write it down and hand it in, and we'll try to address it the following week, Right? Um, I don't have all the answers. I have an answer for everything. It's usually, I don't know, all right? But, but I think that we can work our way through this and, and really can be a helpful time. So let's look at our handout this morning, and before we do, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. We thank you for all that you're doing here in this place. I thank you for all those who showed an interest this morning in coming, and learning from your word. And Lord, I pray now that our time would be profitable, that we'd be honest and open, transparent. And Lord, we'd see the real um, importance of what we're striving to do this morning. And so Lord, I pray that you'd bless and honor your word uh, as we come together not only to study this morning, but to worship you. I pray that Christ would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, There have been over 75,000 books on parenting written over the last 10 years. 75,000. And some of you have tried to read all of them, okay? With all those books out there, though, there's a problem. We understand this, that that parenting has suffered over the last 10 years. Um, And so what we want to do this morning is to look at this idea of parenting um, and uh, see what God has to say about it. So let's look this morning at biblical assumptions, number one. And I want to set the groundwork this morning on where we're going. And some of these things we're going to touch base on, we'll we'll delve into uh, in a little more detail as the weeks progress. But here's the first point. Parenting is not easy. Parenting is not easy. Um, It can be intimidating. I remember the first time that um, we walked out of the hospital when AJ was born. And I was 23 years old, Kim was 24 years old. We've been married for five years. They wheeled us down to the car and uh, they said goodbye. Good luck. Wish you the best. And we were left there with this, this little baby in our hands. And the truth is, I remember trying to get him into the car seat. And it was a nightmare. I was pushing him and cranking him and, and, and moving all around. I had no idea what I was doing. And I recall the, I, the anxiety that came over us on our way home, thinking, looking in the back seat thinking, now what do we do? They didn't send us home with an instruction manual on what to do at, at every moment. And so it can be intimidating. We were just with Ben and Sarah Lair. And I just remembered this this morning. When their first daughter was born in Saginaw, we went to visit them. And we we walked down with them to the the car to to take them home, and Ben had no idea how to get that car in the car seat. And uh, so we helped him stuff that little girl in there as well, and and it all worked out. But parenting can be intimidating. Um, It's difficult, because no one's perfect. And we make mistakes. and, And we all make mistakes. And so it can be difficult. Number two, I want you to see it's designed to be a joy, though. Can someone look up Psalm chapter 127 this morning? Psalm 127, we'll look there. And then I want someone to read out loud verses 3 through 5. Happy is a man whose quiver is full. quiver can be 5, 7, 12, all right? But the idea is it is a joy. And sometimes we don't think about this, but listen to me. One of the things that you have to remember is we raise these children, and those who have raised children, you have the privilege and the opportunity To guide and direct a living soul who will spend eternity in one of two places—it's an awesome responsibility. And through this process, it doesn't have to be. Oh no, we're we're entering the terrible twos. Or oh no, we're entering you know the teenage years and we're dreading this. There are opportunities of grace and teaching and learning, and and the truth is that's for all of us. There can be great joy, and if we seek God's face and try to do it His way, at the end of all this, there is joy. As we see a young man or a young woman uh, who knows Christ and serves him and loves him. So it's designed to be a joy. Not only a joy for you, but a joy in your sanctification. There are things that you learn about yourself um, as you raise your children. There are things you see in them. There are things you see that you like. There are things that you see that you don't like. right? And that's just the way it is. And so God uses this parenting process to bring us to a point of sanctification. He works things out in your life, in my life, as we deal with our kids, as we're frustrated, as we're upset, as we respond the wrong way. God will use those things to teach us something about ourselves. So it can be a joy. And then, number three, we have to be dogmatically committed to this idea of parenting. And here are some four, four areas. We'll touch on these, and we'll, we'll go in depth a little bit later uh, in this study. But someone look at Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And then someone else grabs Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. Who's at Matthew this morning? Dan, go ahead, nice and loud. Okay. Real easy. And this is going to be coming to play later on. We sometimes make things real complicated. Here are the two things that Jesus says are really important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And those are guidelines for us in our life and for our parenting. And so we have to be committed to the Lord. Listen, I don't care how many books you read. I'm going to people you talk to. If you and I are not committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be in trouble. And too many folks, we come to parenting classes and we think, well, if I get step A, B, and C, I'm going to be okay. But that's not the case. We have to know Christ and love Him and be in love with who He is. And as that changes us, we are changed. Um, the best thing you can do to raise your children is to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as you are, it changes you. Right? And so we must be committed to him. And then Psalm 42, a psalm we know, someone there already? Go ahead, Joanne. You have this attitude that the psalmist says, I'm thirsting after God. We must be committed to the Word of God, what he requires from us, and the God of the Word, who he is. And uh, that will come to play as we go through our study this, this next few weeks. Then we must be committed to, committed to our spouse. Now I understand there are some folks who are, are not together. They're a single parent right now. Um, and It's difficult. It's difficult. Um, it is hard enough to raise children with a husband and wife at home. It's difficult. It is even more challenging for one parent to do it. But it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And by God's grace and strength, we can do that. My mother raised three boys as a single mom. Okay? It can be done. Joanne raised three daughters as a single mom. I mean, it can be done. And so take heart if you're, if you're not, if you're a single parent struggling... Um, that's what part of the church is for as well. That we come alongside people encourage them. You have examples and help here as well. But for those of us who are married, we must be committed to our spouse. To our spouse. Um, Again, we'll talk more, this is just an introduction, but um, the best thing that you can do for your kids if you're married is love your husband or love your wife. To show them what the gospel looks like, to live that out in front of them, it brings them great security. And, and if you're struggling in that area, you better concentrate on your marriage. Your marriage. You've got to be in tune with what's happening. Husbands, you've got to fulfill your roles. And again, just to touch base on this, because we'll talk more about this. You are to be a servant leader, um, you are to be a lover of your family, and a teacher and learner. Uh, we have this attitude that, for, for especially dads, that I can work my job, come home, and then I don't, I'm, I don't have to worry about anything else, right? I, I sort of just disconnect. That is not the definition that the Bible gives us of parenting for a father. I think like sometimes we look back to the 50s, and here was a picture of a dad who worked all day, came home, threw his feet up on the chair, smoked his pipe, read his paper, and he was done. And mom took care of the kids, right? Um, listen, far, far further back than that in the book of Deuteronomy, um, God said that we're supposed to teach them all the time. There should be opportunities when we eat dinner together, when we're out in the way, driving in the car, wherever we're at. So there's not this idea that I'm disengaged. The the truth is, as a man, as a husband, I am to be engaged with my family. I am to know them. How can I lead a wife or lead my children if I don't even know who they are? And you cannot know them by working your 40, 50 hours and then just, I know you're tired, I know you're exhausted. But listen to me, you are to be engaged in their lives. That is your role. Ladies, you've got to honor your husbands. You don't know my husband. Yeah, I know, but you married him. Okay, I, I know, I know. But, but listen to me. If you want your children to obey you and to listen to you and follow you, some of you are tearing down your homes. You're not wise because you're not willing to follow and let your husband lead. And this is not, you know, it's not, it's not chauvinistic. It's the truth. There has to be a time that you trust him and allow him to lead your home. Allow him to do that. And so we've got to be committed to our families. We'll talk more about the mirror relationship in a couple of weeks, but it's important. So commit to the Lord, commit to your spouse, commit to your family. Your family. We are stewards, and it is our job to pass the truth of the Word of God to our children. What, what are you passing on to your children? What do they know about the gospel? What do they know about Christianity? What, about, what, what do they know about your faith? It is our job to be committed to pass that on to them. They must see in your life and my life that it's the real deal. Be committed to your family. And then we must be committed to others. Committed to others. Um, I'm I'm talking about the church now. Um, The church is important. Uh, The Bible gives us lots of commands about love one another, prefer one another, honor one another, forgive one another. That has to be done in the context of the church. And we do our families a disservice if we don't serve together inside the church. Right? They should be active. They should be involved. One of the great things about this building project is that during the building there were numbers of folks who brought their kids to help in the project. Now the truth is, I don't know how great of a help some of them were, but they were here. They were working. They were connected. They were together. They were involved. It's important. So we must be, uh, make sure that's a priority that we are committed to others. So, parenting is not easy. It's designed to be joyous, and we must be dogmatically committed in these areas. Any questions or comments before we move to point number two? Anything at all? Okay, still with me? All right, point number two. God is sovereign, and these are, again, these are these biblical assumptions. God is sovereign, and man is responsible. Here's what I mean by that. Um, As we raise our children, we need to understand that God is completely sovereign, and we are completely responsible. There are three doctrines in the Word of God that we have to keep this tension with. The first is the Trinity. You want to try to explain the Trinity, that there is one God, yet revealed in three persons? Try to explain it sometime. We had a girl ask you that about a couple months ago. She said, What's, tell me about the Trinity. And as I started to explain it, I realized I was making a fool of myself. I was probably saying some things that were heretical. It was probably modalism or something. It was weird. It's, it's a tension we hold that God is one, and yet he's, he's displayed himself in three persons, distinct persons. There's a tension there. We have to hold that. The second is the deity of Jesus Christ. That he is the God-man. The hypostatic union. How do you you get your head around that? We believe it by faith because it's revealed in the word of God. And the third one is this. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is sovereign. But we are responsible. And as we raise our children, we must remember that. Look at what Proverbs uh, 23, verse 26 says. Proverbs 23, verse 26. Someone who's got quick... Bible skills. Anybody there? Go ahead. Nancy, read it. He says, give me your heart. As a parent, we are to direct our children's hearts toward Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's our job. It's our responsibility. We must do that. We're not talking just about um, behavior modification. We're talking about directing our children's hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. I read an article the other day, I think Agatha posted on, on Facebook, about we are raising moral pagans. And we have kids who have manners, and they're polite, and they're lost. That's not our goal. Our goal is to to raise children who love Christ and know Him. So we have to direct their hearts, their hearts. And this is a constant, this is constant. Uh, Sometimes we have this idea that, okay, they're fighting, this kid wants this toy, and this kid is pulling on it, you know, they're two and three years old, and so I just say, stop who had it first and give them the toy, right? But we've missed something there about the heart, about deferring, about being kind, right? And we want to solve our problems like that and just help them behave themselves, and we're missing opportunities to deal with the heart. And it doesn't stop when they're two and three. We had the boys of the day, we we came back, and we got them a, a gift from Frankfurt, Germany. They're just, they're two, they're two hats. They're German hats. And they're kind of similar, but they're not the same. Well, Gregory's 19. He loves wearing his hat. And David has hair like me. He loves wearing his hat, right? Because it doesn't, just, you can just wear a hat, it doesn't matter. And they were wearing the same day. And Greg was irritated that David was wearing the same kind of hat. The same kind of hat that, that, that he had on. So it really bothered him. And so we're sitting in the living room, and, and Greg is bothered by this, and David, and they both have their hats on. Um, and, and, it's, and he's 19 and, and 13 years old. And, and so... So Greg leaves, and David's sitting there, and it's like, Hey, Dave, let me talk to you for a second. Um, this hat thing is no big deal, right? Because Gregory is very kind to David. Very, they have a good relationship. And, and we said to David, Hey, Greg does this, that, and the other thing. Why can't you defer? Why can't you just realize it's a dumb hat? What's going on with your heart that you have to wear this when he's wearing it? It's not a big deal, Right? It's not just, well, he was wearing it first. It's like, wait a minute, let's peel that back a little bit. Let's look at their hearts. What's going on within, all right? And so we've got to direct their hearts. And here's the truth of the matter. We're responsible in that, um, but God is sovereign. And he is the only one that can ever get a hold of their hearts. And we must pray that he does. But understand as we parent. Number three, we want to be offensive, not defensive. Offensive. We must prepare our children to enter into the world and to conquer it. Right? Some of us have this attitude that we're going to protect our kids from everything. It's a bad idea. We are called to be salt and light. Okay? Salt engages. Light is distinct. And if we're not careful, we we, we worry about the evils of our world affecting our kids. Right? And so so what we do is we, we try to protect them from everything. From the neighbor kid who swears. From the public school. From the sports team. Um, and, and, we, and we think we're doing a really good job by protecting them from all these things. We're not. We're not. We're not teaching them how to live in this real world. Okay? I understand we want to protect our kids, but the truth is, eventually they're going to be exposed to evil. And if they're not exposed in your household where you can control and manage it and help them along, then when they're out of your household, they won't know how to do that. We were, again, with the lairs, and he was telling us a story about a missionary family. They were there for 20 years in Poland, and, and they were—and this is not against homeschooling at all. You'll understand the story as I go through it. But they homeschooled their kids. They never learned the Polish language, the parents or the kids, and they sort of just protected them for 20 years in Poland. Okay. The kids went back to the states, 18, 19 years old, and you know what happened? Their lives were destroyed. They got into a world that they had no idea how to cope with it. That people were really mean in that world. That they used bad language in that world. That they were unkind in that world. That they didn't care about you in that world. They have broken homes and broken lives today because their parents thought they were doing the right thing, but they weren't preparing them for real life. I get it about protecting your kids. There's a sense that we do that. But you cannot keep them from everything. Listen, it's better that they face a bully and cry in grade three and you help them deal with it, then when they're 20 years old and have never dealt with that, what do you do with a 25-year-old who has no idea how to deal with a bully? Or to resolve conflict? Or to get along with people? Right? A quote that, that uh, someone else that had I've been, been creeping on the Facebook. I think it was Jess's. I'm, I'm, I'm watching what everyone's doing. Um, it's, it's easier to... Build a strong child than to repair an adult. Right? And it's true. And some of us, we're making a mess because we're trying to keep them from everything. We're more worried about Halloween and Christmas and the kids swearing down the street than we are about giving them the tools they need to survive in this world. And that's your job. It's not the youth department's job, it's not the church's job, it's your job. And so let me caution you on that as we go through this. We're not trying to protect our kids from everything. We, we, our kids, and again, we have people homeschool. I'm not against that because the truth is I think our homeschoolers are doing a great job where they homeschool their kids and they're actively involved in community and sports and other things. And that's a great thing. You need to do that. But if you get this isolationist kind of idea, you're going to hurt your family and hurt your children. You see it happen over and over again. All right? We sent our kids to public school and we had these stories that, you know, the public school is going to destroy our children. And the people tell us the stories about, okay, yeah, that sounds like it's right because all their kids are destroyed. And then we found out it had nothing to do with the public school. It was about their family. Their families were a mess. It wasn't the school or the environment. It was what they were learning at home. And so we want to make sure that we are offensive, all right? Preparing our children to enter into the world and conquer it. Not just defensive, protecting our children from the world, okay? You can't do that. Um, they have to know the beauty of Christ, when your kids and my kids understand who Jesus is and who he really is and fall in love with him, the world loses its attraction. Right? It can't compare to Christ. What happens is we've not done that in our, in our marriages, in our homes. There is no beauty of Christ there, so the world does look appetizing to them. And they just go after it. And so we can't do that. We must be good at, at teaching our children to be offensive. Not to be an offense, but offensive where they're prepared to enter the world. Any questions or comments on that? That may, that may strike somebody as different. Right. I think she's kind of crazy too. I don't know if I put my nine-year-old on a subway bus. But but, but right. It's the same idea. That, that They have to be exposed to those things. Yeah, I don't put my 9 Especially if they're in New York City. I don't think I'd do that. But anyways, right. but it's true though. They have to deal with these things. And, 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 and you are there in their lives to help them deal with these things. And not just, oh, I'm going to go to school and my kid never does anything wrong. That's what I'm talking about. That's dangerous as well. Your kids are just like you. They're sinners. First thing we ask our kids when they come home with a problem is, what did you do? Because we know them. And it's like, oh, ah, yeah. someone was telling a story. I don't know. Oh, it was David the other day. He tells us about his back was hurting, didn't know what he did. And after, after a couple of times of telling the story, it was like, oh, that's what really happened. He was messing around. Someone was giving, cracking his back for him. All right? It wasn't like he, he pulled it on volleyball. He had this great idea that some kid twice his size was going to crack his back. Bad idea, right? Uh, your kids are going to do dumb things, right? Don't go and defend them like that. But they ought to be exposed so we can help them. What a privilege it is to guide them along life and to give them the tools that they need to be good, responsible Christian men and women. And that's what we ought to do. Okay? We need to be uh, offensive and not defensive there. And then number four, as far as this introductory beginning is going this morning, um, we want to be God-centered and not child-centered. Um, This is where a lot of us blow it, man. I know that they're cute and wonderful and they're so small and tiny and William is so wonderful and it's just like everything should revolve around him, right? And we give them all the attention. But listen to me. If they continue to grow up that way where they think they're the center of the universe, you are harming them and not helping them. You're going to raise self-centered men and women who all they ever think about is themselves. You know, you're raising someone's husband. You are raising someone's wife. You are raising the next generation of Christian believers. And someone like, say, "Well, I think they'll just grow out of this." You know, the truth is, they might grow out of the temper tantrum part of that, but their hearts are still going to be selfish. They'll just it'll just be some other way that they come across like this. We know it must be God-centered, not child-centered. The world doesn't revolve around them. And you've heard this from us, and we we do it. We've done it not too long ago. We see, I have. I think it was Dave stand up after he had this whole thing about himself and say, I am not the center of the universe. I am not the center of the universe. And we had him say it until we at least thought he believed it. Because he didn't. He thought the world revolved around him. And you're not helping your kids. Okay? Because the real world doesn't act like that. The truth is they don't have any time for that. It's so funny to me. We, we were just in a class yesterday. No, Friday. Gregory works with the uh, special needs. He, he does a thing where he volunteers every Friday, goes into his class at McGregor. So we went in there to, to meet his, his, the teacher there and, and some of the kids. And what's amazing with these special needs kids, they're, they're handicapped. They have real issues. But the teacher doesn't let them get away with anything. Nothing. The one kid was there, and, and he, it was hat day, and she gave him a hat, and he wasn't wearing it, and she said, where's the hat? And he said, it's in my bag. He was going to steal it and take it home, Right? And and, and the idea might be, well, he doesn't know any better, just let him do what he And she's like, no, you're not stealing my hat. Bring it back here. You're not wearing that anymore. And when they go out in public, when people want to help them cross the street, they tell them, stop. Because you're not always going to be here to help this kid cross the street. What we're doing is not unkind. We're trying to give these kids a chance to survive, right? And if a special needs teacher knows that, how come we don't know that? It's foolishness. They're onto something, all right? And so I don't know that's probably the last point that just came up in my mind. So we're not supposed to be child centered. We are to be God centered. And that that looks like this. Sometimes we have to be willing to say no when it's in the child's best interest. They have parents for a reason. And the reason is that you can say to them no. I don't care what special Eddie is doing. You're not doing that. I don't care where every kid is, where they're all going. You're not going there. No. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, learn to say no is of more value than Latin. It doesn't mean anything to us today because we don't speak Latin, but it did to him. Say no. Our kids have been given parents that we tell them no. Now listen, some Christian families, they tell them no for everything. That's a bad idea. We just look for a reason to say no. Can you drink drink water? No. Right? Why? Because I want to say no. No. We tell them no in too many things. We have to look for ways to tell them yes. We keep them from a lot of things out there that we think are harmful. But we should look for ways to say yes. But when it comes to their well-being and their direction and where they're going and when it's bad and it's not good, it's not God-centered, we must be willing to say no. We're not going there. You're not doing that. And I don't care. And be willing to be tenacious about it. Because your kids are going to test you. Right. Do you know why they put all those cool things at the checkout? For your children. Because they know when, when push comes to shove, and that kid says, I want it now. And they start crying and fussing. The easiest thing for you to do is to take the candy and give it to the child. Even though you told them no before you got there. And when you got in line, you told them no. But then when they made us think about it, and now it's embarrassing, you cave. bad idea. Your will needs to be stronger than theirs. You're going to fight me on this, you're going to lose. Listen, I don't know how many times we left stores with our cart there. Because the kid, AJ, was out of control. Out of control. We we stopped meals. We would go out to a, a restaurant... And, and we were out at a restaurant and, and he started acting up and he wouldn't stop and we would do the deal where we take him out and bring him back in and take him out and bring him back. And finally it's like, you know what? We're not staying. And and he learned after a while that you're not as hard headed as your father is. Okay? You're not. And it was a good thing. Um, and so, um, make sure that you're willing to say no. No, it's in the best interest of the child. And and, and you're gonna be tempted on that today. You had small kids. They're going to push the buttons today. Don't be weary in that, all right? It's a game. Game on, man. Game on. I'm going to win this, okay? Um, if, if that has to be your attitude, then let it be your attitude because you will be confronted with those things, okay? Um, letter B Be united in marriage even when there is a disagreement. And we'll talk more about this. This is just one of those things about God centered, not child centered. Your kids are smart, they know how to play mom against dad. They know who to ask, and they know how to ask one and then ask the other and not tell the other. They just ask the other one, and they said no, right? And if there's a disagreement, you've got to say, okay, wait a minute. We're going to, we're, we have a, a united front here. It's not mom and dad against each other. It's mom and dad for the same purpose and the same cause. We're a team, man, and you've got to be a team. You've got to be a team. Um, make your marriage more important than your children, I know they're great, man. But can I tell you something? They're going to leave you. Don't, no matter how, how hard you write, Mrs. Peters, they're going to leave you, right? They leave. And your marriage should be, you know, longer than your time with your kids. Make your marriage important. Because um, they're going to leave you, okay? It's important. It's a good foundation. And then, finally, this morning, be willing to be different. We're called as believers to be different. And we we're talking about it a little bit this morning, but this world tries to press us into their mold and do everything the world does. You've got to be different, man. You've got to know why you're being different. I'm different because I'm a believer in Christ. You know, years ago, the, the, the Cougars football thing was just starting and, and, and A.J. wanted to play and, and the coach wanted to play. And, and so we said, okay, when do they play? And they said, we play on Sundays. We play every Sunday. And we said, to A.J., you know what? We're not doing that. You're not going to be a professional CFL player NFL player. We're not going to start making those decisions now. We're going to be different in that area. And, Grant, I know there are things on Sunday sometimes that we do and we have to do or we're involved in. It. I'm not talking about that, but there ought to be areas that we're different in and be willing to be different. I'm not saying bizarre. Some of you folks, you want to be bizarre just to be bizarre. What's the purpose in that? I'm saying different for a reason. That we don't march to the same drum. Those, those priorities are not the same for us. We're different. We're believers. We're not living for this world. We're living for something bigger than this. And so there are decisions we make that are different from the world, and we should be fine with that. And our kids should know that. And so we must be God-centered and not child-centered. And sometimes that means saying no in those areas. So those are the assumptions that we'll go through in the next several weeks, talk about these things. And, and again, as we go through, you can stop at any time. Any questions you have, you can ask. And we want to do our best to be, to be open and honest. Listen to me. You have a great resource here in this church. I was talking to Rick and Eva, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now. And he said to me, he said, do you realize how many marriages you have in your church of people married over 50 years? And I start thinking, there are quite a few. That's amazing, amazing. And, and you're in a church with all these folks here who, who have all these different backgrounds, who have raised kids. Take advantage of that. Ask the questions. Don't be afraid. It's not a stupid question. D- just ask it, right? Um, and, and you have that available. Um, I, I'm a little concerned for our younger generation now. We, we have access to everything with the Internet and our blogs and, and you know, our, our tweets. And, and there are these young people tweeting about how to raise their kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm a little concerned about someone who's got a 3-year-old telling me how to raise my kids. Because it changes. Follow their... They'll change, Right? You've got to go through the whole process here. And so take advantage of what we have. You've got a room full of people who are raising kids, who have raised kids in the process. Take advantage. Ask the questions. And they'll be a helping blessing to you.